Well, there was this one Christmas where I was in fourth grade at the time, and I really wanted this new DS game. I don't know if you guys know what a DS is, but yeah, a DS is a little gaming console. Uh, I don't know how popular they are now, but I had one of these, and I really wanted Mario Kart, okay? Mario Kart was the thing at the time. I was also really goaded at the Wii version of Mario Kart. Sorry, none of you would beat me at the original Wii version, but the DS version is what I really wanted for Christmas. And there was one day that I went to my parents' room, and I sat outside uh, of their bathroom just kind of waiting to talk to them because who knows why. And I sat outside, and there was a bag sitting on their bed. And I just kind of was like, hmm, what do we got in here? Uh, I peered in. Ooh, we got some new sweatpants for James. I see you. Yep, that's one Christmas uh, thing off the list. We got, ooh, we got a little football in here. That's also off the list. And lo and behold, we had the DS version of Mario Kart in the bag, and I was so stoked. And then my mom opened the bathroom door and saw me looking at all my presents, and I was like, Mom, no, 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 no. Like, trust me, I wasn't looking at the presents. She's like, but you're holding them in your hand. I'm like, yeah, I know, but Mom, I wasn't. And so I ran off in tears, and I'm like, I'm so ashamed of myself because I became so selfish in that moment that I just looked at my Christmas presents when I really shouldn't have, and I know it was bad, but at the same time, I just really wanted to kind of give into this really selfish desire. And why do I tell you that story? I know it's not, like, really that serious, but at the same time, I gave into my selfish desires of... I want to know what my Christmas presents are. And yeah, you could say, well, James, you didn't know it was in the bag. Yeah, I knew it was in the bag. I knew that the bag was sitting there and I wasn't supposed to look at it, yet I looked at it anyways. A lot of times in our lives, we tend to do things knowing full well we should not do them. A lot of times, we give in to what we would call um, a very selfish desire, a fleshly desire, um, and before we know Christ, we give into what we call a sinful nature desire. Okay. And this passage, before we get into it, is about how sin entered the world. Before this point, Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 and 2, they lived in perfect harmony with God. They walked with God in the Garden of Eden, they got to name the animals, they got to be in the presence of God anytime they wanted to. And it was perfect. It was heaven on earth, quite literally. And then all of a sudden in chapter 3, we start to see, okay, they don't listen to God quite clearly, and something bad happens. So let's read verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise... She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the, both of, the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now I'm going to stop there really quick. 
Because very quickly we see they were naked, okay? They had been naked the whole time, but they finally realized, oh, shoot, we're in public and we're naked. Um, I'm going to blame also this person because later in this passage we see that God's like, hey, um, Adam, what happened? He's like, she did it, she did it, and he automatically blames. And we see right then and there sin has entered the picture, that a perfect heaven on earth now no longer exists and we just have this earth and the presence of God to humanity is about to be separated. And already we see we need a savior. We need a king. We need someone who's almighty to come and save us. But why do we need a king? Why do we need a savior to come save us? Let's go back and look through this passage. It says the serpent was the most crafty, the one that the Lord God had made. And you might be wondering yourself, okay, so the serpent, who was the one who ended up deceiving Adam and Eve, was made by God. How can that possibly be so? How could God make something that's so evil and such a deceiver if he's all good? In fact, in Revelation, we see that the serpent was the devil. So how could, the, how could God allow a perfect place be changed, be altered, be ultimately destructed by a serpent and by the devil? How could a good God allow evil to exist? Well, it's not quite simple, but we have to wrestle with this idea. Because the serpent ultimately gave them a choice. If God had not allowed evil into this place that was ultimately all good, then Adam and Eve would have never possibly had a choice in order to choose God or to choose evil. And you might be wondering, why does it matter if they have a choice, James? They were with God. They could have just been with God for all of eternity and just been in his presence. That's all that matters, right? Yes, but also no. God wants love, to be free. God wants love to be a choice. I've kind of given this example before, but with my wife, I can't just force her to love me. When I first met her, I couldn't be like, hey, we're going on a date. Whether you like it or not, you're mine now. Suck it up, buttercup. I couldn't be like that, right? I had to give her the choice to love me. And she ended up choosing to love me because love is a choice. The same thing goes with God. If we want to love him and if he wants us to love him, he needs to give us a choice. Or it's not love, it's just forceful kidnapping at that point, right? Does that make sense? God needs to give us a choice in order to love him. So he allows a serpent to get in there. And then you see, he says to the woman, did God actually say, notice like the inflection in my voice, did God actually say, did he really do that? Did he really say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. You see how he's not like fully lying, but he's also not fully telling the truth. And the first thing he says, did God actually say? He knows that, okay, if I can get to Eve's ultimate source of truth, if I can get to Eve's ultimate source of love, if I can deceive her view of the father, then I can get to her. I, could, I think the serpent knows. If I just said like, dude, like, don't listen to God. He's not, he's not right. No, you should just eat from the fruit. You know you shouldn't, but you should eat from the fruit. 
I think the serpent knows that she's smarter than that. But little by little, we start to see that the serpent says, did God actually say that? He starts to break down little by little her perception of the father. She knows the father is loving and he's truthful and he wants what's best for her. He's all sufficient, which means he has everything they could possibly need. And all of a sudden, the serpent's coming in and deceiving. He says, I don't, did he actually say you couldn't eat from that? Did he, I don't, I don't know. I think he's not wanting you to have all that life could offer. Because she's even like, well, we can eat from all the fruit. And like, we can eat from these, but like, we'll die if we eat this one. And the serpent's like, well, you're not going to actually die. Do you actually believe God's going to let you die? And he starts, she, he starts putting lies little by little. And they're not fully lies. Again, he starts putting little truths and little lies together. He's not explaining the full truth to her. And in verse 5, he says, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will not... And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He knows that she knows, like, you're not going to actually die, right? Like, you're not going to just, like, eat the fruit and fall dead right there like it's poison or something. But rather, he's saying, like, no, 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 you're not going to actually die. And he's not explaining what death actually is. Because what he's trying to explain to her is a physical death. And what God actually meant by if you eat it, you will die is a spiritual death that you'll be separated from God because of the disobedience that we showed to him so in verse 6 it says so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was the light to the eyes and that the tree was good to be uh, desired to make one wise she took of its fruit and ate and so right then and there was the first sin that she disobeyed God deliberately he said to not do one thing like you have chores every single week, right? And it's like five things. And you probably could at least fulfill five things. And she's like, God said one thing and I'm not going to do it. Like that's how sin entered the world is because she disobeyed the one thing God said not to do. And although I try to make light of it, it's not light. It's weighty. The fact that she disobeyed God made sin enter the world. And that's serious. Because sin isn't just one act that happens. Sin is the corruption of every single thing good. And from there, we see one sin that happens, and then eventually they realize that they're naked and they're shameful. That's another sin. And then eventually after that, they start blaming each other. That's another sin. And so on and so forth, they start sinning more and more and more, and everything that they do is sinful. The next chapter, we see that Cain uh, kills Abel, the two sons from Adam and Eve. Sin starts corrupting every single fiber of their being because sin is not just one thing, one action that happened back in the Garden of Eden. It's a corruption of every single part of our body. It's saying, this thing's good, I'm going to corrupt it and tear everything good out of it. It might look good, it might look appealing, but really on the inside, the apple that looked so good was so bitter on the inside. Everything in your life that is good can be corrupted by sin. Because sin doesn't necessarily look bad on the outside, but like I said, it's on the inside, it's bitter. So we're going to skip down to verse 14. Because God has a little talk. He's like, so like, what actually happened? 
And they were like, well, he did it. No, she did it. And all this stuff. And they start blaming, yada, yada, yada. And eventually he gets to the serpent because Eve says, well, the serpent's the one who deceived me. So God goes in verse 14. It says this. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now this is kind of the last part of our section today. There's a few things I want to bring up. And first and foremost, if you're writing notes, you should write this down, that God ultimately has a plan for all evil. God has a plan for all evil. God being a good and righteous judge, God being a good almighty God, he's not going to allow evil to win. You know, at the face value of it, it might certainly seem like evil ones. Sometimes in your life, you might feel like evil's winning. You might look out at the world and say, okay, because of the one sin that happened in the Garden of Eden, now, in 2022, I see so much sin around me. I see so much corruption around me. Where is God? Where could he possibly be? He's allowed evil to take over our world. He's allowed evil to take over the minds of every single person, even some people who claim to be Jesus followers. Evil has corrupted every single being. However, you need to know that God ultimately has a plan here. And we're going to get to that in just a second, but let's look at it this way, or a little apart from my little life spiel, okay? When I was in high school, and it always starts there, right? When I was in high school, I didn't, like, I followed Jesus, right? But because of, like, actions I did to other people, Ultimately, I hurt them. And for a certain part of high school, I thought, okay, because I hurt these people, like nothing's going to happen. Ultimately, like they'll forgive me. They'll get over it. But then ultimately, for the next two years of my life, next two, three years of life, even now sometimes, I have the gate and the weight that God is allowing me to face because of the evil that I did in other people's life. Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen like that in your life or in anybody else's life. But God ultimately always deals with evil. If he's good and he's almighty, which we've talked about for the last few months, that he's good, he's almighty, he's just, he's righteous, he has to defeat evil. If you go to court, a good judge isn't going to look at the face of a murderer and say, nah, you're good, man. No, they deal with the just. They have to be just. They have to be righteous. They have to deal with the evil right there that's sitting in front of them and say, you know what? You might be human. You, you might seem like a good person, but ultimately you did an evil thing. So therefore, they are guilty. And because God is just and because he's righteous, he deals with the evil stuff. The second part is that we were born evil. I know you might not like hearing that. It doesn't sound good. It's not something that you'd probably put on a bumper sticker and slap on your car and say, I was born evil. No, no one likes hearing that they're evil. But because of the sins of Adam and Eve, we were born evil. We were born separated from God. Although they had heaven on earth, 
They distorted it. They destroyed it because of their own human actions. And therefore, because of them, sin has just been passed down from generation to generation. And I know that's not good to hear and it doesn't feel good. I don't like hearing it. But it's ultimately the truth. Unfortunately, it is the truth. And so we have to face the fact that we are not prone all the time to make the right, wise decisions. Even after we've accepted Jesus, even after we accepted his Holy Spirit who guides us, he directs us, a lot of times because we're tainted by sin, because we have sin stained on us, we like to do the things that the flesh, that sin wants us to do. And before we accept Jesus, we really like to do those things. So, rather than just hiding the fact that we're evil, I encourage you to say, okay, I was born evil, but Jesus made me good, but I have to understand, sometimes I'm going to fall short. Sometimes I'm going to fall into the trap that, okay, the flesh wants to overtake me, and so therefore I need Jesus. I need something. I also need to know what are my desires? What, do I what am I prone to going after? For me, I struggle a lot with pride, selfish desires, and I struggle a lot with this propensity to be angry. Propensity just means I'm prone to do it or I'm more apt to do it. And I'm not proud of it, like, but it's something that because of people before me, that's something I struggle with now and something I have to just be extra aware of. I have to go into the house every day and just really pray, okay, I need to be patient today. I need to be gentle today. Before I go in the house, every single time I'm in my car, before I go see my wife, I'm like, okay, Lord, help me be gentle right now. And I'm not perfect at it, but I understand, okay, I'm fallen, but Jesus redeemed me, but I still struggle with the flesh a little bit. Therefore, Lord, give me strength in the ways that I'm weak. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, he saved us. And he's our king. And that's the third and final thing I have to say tonight. Is we need a king, and that king is Jesus. Look at verse 15. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He's saying this to the serpent. He's saying, Serpent, your offspring, your evil ones, your demons, they're going to be separated and they're going to be conquered because of her offspring, Eve's offspring. And Eve's offspring, which just means the people to come from generations down the line, it says that he shall bruise your head. And he says to the serpent, you, serpent, are going to bruise his heel. Some translations say, he shall crush your head, and serpent, you're just going to bruise his heel. This is the first prophecy of our Lord and Savior Jesus to come. That God knows that we need a Savior because of what we did in the garden. Because of humanity's fault, because of humanity's decision, Sin is going to corrupt, it's going to corrode, it's going to do all its damage that it possibly can. But ultimately at the end of the day, even seconds after that decision was made, God already had a plan. He already had a plan and that plan was Jesus. Because right there and then he says, you know what, you might bruise his heel, you might do some damage, but at the end of the day, he's going to crush your head. And although we need a savior so badly, we got one. We got one. And although it might seem like, where is he? 
And although it may seem like, okay, evil's doing its job right now, we have hope. And that hope is Jesus. And like I said, I want you to ask that question. Why do we need a savior? Because sin is here. Sin is present. Sin is trying to corrupt everything in its path that it possibly could. But you don't have to let it corrupt you because you can grab onto the hope that Jesus gives you. And in your small groups and in all of your people that love Jesus, you can just grab hold of them and say, let's do this thing together. It's not gonna be easy, it's gonna be hard, but here's the truth. And this is a quote by Olivia Bush herself. This is the only side of eternity where we get to praise God through suffering. So let's praise God even in the suffering, even in the hard times, because ultimately at the end of the day, we should take heart because he overcame the world. And he overcame the world by crushing the serpent's head, even if it only made a little bruise in his body. Let's pray.